you uh, would pull out your bulletin, you'll find a sermon outline to follow along this morning. We're going to be talking today out of the book of Luke on a message titled, A Childlike Heart. And uh, it's good to see everybody here today. Um, I heard a story about, from the 1988 Winter Olympics I wanted to share with you. It was written by... Uh, a little piece written by a guy named Robert Sutton. I wanted to share with you an interesting story. I thought it parallels kind of our spiritual lives to a degree. It says, A television program preceding the 1988 Winter Olympics featured blind skiers being trained for slalom skiing, impossible as that sounds. Paired with sighted skiers, the blind skiers were taught on the flats how to make right and left turns. When that was mastered, they were taken to the slalom slope where their sighted partners skied beside them, shouting left and right. As they obeyed the commands, they were able to negotiate the course and cross the finish line, depending solely on the sighted skier's word. It was either complete trust or catastrophe. What a vivid picture of the Christian life. In this world, we are in reality blind about what course to take. We must rely solely on the word of the only one who is truly sighted, God himself. His word gives us the direction we need to finish the course. And I thought it was pretty amazing that literally blind people are learning to ski and they have people accompanying them to kind of tell them when to turn and following them along, telling them left, right, and to kind of which way to go. And I can imagine that this piece didn't talk about it. I can imagine there was a learning curve. I can imagine there's probably some falling down going on, some stumbles, uh, maybe some bruises or some minor injuries. I can imagine it wasn't always smooth and easy at first when you're literally being guided by somebody else. And I think that's true in following God. It really is a learning curve, learning to hear the voice of God. There's actually a scripture that describes God's voice. God's voice is a a small whisper. It's kind of like this small whisper. And sometimes it's very subtle. It can be difficult to hear. Even if you've been walking with God for a long time, it can be difficult to navigate, like, should I make this decision? Should I take this new job? Should I head in this direction? Should we do this over here? And there's also, you hear the voice of God saying, hey, wait a minute on that. Hold back on that. And there's been times in my life where I've missed it. Have anybody ever missed the mark? Maybe you kind of knew, like, God was kind of warning you. There's some red flags popping up. And you kind of went about it anyway. And then you kind of had some consequences because you didn't quite listen to the voice of God. I want to share with you a little little uh, piece about a son's trust. And this was written, uh, written by a man named Tim Hansel. This is what he says. He says this about his son. One day when my son Zach and I were out in the country climbing around in some cliffs, I heard a voice from above me yell, Hey, Dad, catch me. I turned around to see Zach joyfully jumping off a rock straight at me. He had jumped and then yelled, hey, dad. So, you know, normally you say, hey, dad, and then jump. He jumps and then yells, hey, dad. He says, I became an instant circus act catching him. We both fell to the ground. For a moment after I caught him, I could barely talk. When I found my voice again, I gasped in exasperation. Zach, can you give me one good reason why you did that? He responded with remarkable calmness, sure, because you're my dad. His whole assurance was based in the fact that his father was trustworthy. He could live life to the hilt because I could be trusted. Isn't this even more truth for a Christian? And I thought these passages kind of, these, these stories went along with the passage we're going to be talking about today in Luke chapter 15. 
verses 15 through 17. And this particular passage is called The Little Children and Jesus. And listen to what Jesus has to say in Luke chapter 15, verse 15 through 17. Uh, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not, who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. And that's pretty profound. So here these people are, they're bringing their babies to Jesus. Like, Lord, bless our babies. And the disciples are getting mad about it. Like, no, let's not do this right now. Don't bother him with this. Or kind of having that type of attitude. And Jesus turns it into a teaching point. And he's saying, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And I really believe that God wants us to have that trusting, childlike heart. Like that kid who just jumps before his dad's even looking because he knows his dad's going to take care of him. And I have a couple points I wanted to talk about and how I think this can apply to our personal walks with God. Uh, point number one that we can learn from this passage, children are pure at heart. And it's one of the things as a new dad, I'm kind of learning more and more, especially the little ones. Some of you have a little bit older, you're like, just wait. Wait till they get about 8, 10, 12 years old. We'll see how pure your little sweet angels are. Start lying to you about why they didn't bring their homework home. You know what I'm talking about? I can remember, you know, I lied all the time. Sorry, Mom and Dad, but I did. <laughs> why didn't you bring your homework? Oh, they never told us about it. And the teacher's like, yeah, we did. well, I lied. If I told you that the teacher didn't tell, I lied, okay? And I'm sorry, God, first, and apologize to y'all. And for anybody I hurt from that, lies throughout the years uh, but uh, Brianna and I we kind of watch here and there we don't watch it all the time, we watch a little bit of Dateline y'all ever watch any of those shows like Dateline or 2020 um, Brianna's kind of, believe it or not, it's kind of funny she's kind of a crime junkie if you will she like, listens to like podcasts and all this stuff and she's just fascinated by these mysteries and getting them, seeing them get solved and everything and on this one particular day, there was this just awful story. They're all awful stories, number one. <laughs> you know that going into it. Um, there was a situation where a little child died, and the mother claimed that the child drowned in their little above-ground pool. Well, it turned out that there was actually a witness, and it was her own little child, who was, I think it was her son, about probably about three or four years old. And sure enough, the son had witnesses and ends up telling police this. And you actually see this video interview of this little boy. I mean, this tiny little boy, he doesn't know, I mean, he knows kind of what happened, but, you know, he doesn't really know, like, what's going on. And sure enough, he describes to police, like, about his mother literally holding the sibling underwater at this time, like, leaning over. And she was trying to accuse him of drowning, but this was like a two-foot-tall pool, and this child was easily big enough to stand up in the water. So her story just didn't add up. She ends up getting convicted. And just listening to this little boy talk, you're like, this little boy is not making this up. Like, it was just such a, you know, you ever hear a little child say, sometimes a little, little one, maybe not the big ones, but um, kind of like I was, you know, you get to where you're kind of lying later on. But this little boy, you could just tell there's a purity to this what he was saying, and just matter of factly, and just you could you just knew like this this woman did it. This child is not making this up. This little child is completely telling the truth here. I know a couple years ago I was talking to somebody who had 
a son who is probably maybe about three or four years old at the time. And it's kind of interesting. This particular guy, he he went to church growing up, but didn't really, you know, as an adult, never really went much, if at all. And I think his wife had kind of the same upbringing a little bit. And they just hadn't really gone as adults and had a couple kids. And he was sharing with me this particular story of how he was actually at an art exhibit of sorts, some sort of art exhibit with his child. And his little son just like saw something and said, that's Jesus, like pointed to one of the paintings and pointed like, and he was kind of struck by that because, you know, that hadn't really taught him much, maybe a little bit. And maybe the the son had gone to church a couple of times. One of the things he said to me was really something I'd kind of noticed just being involved in ministry before. But he talked about how like, almost like he was basically making the comment how his son, like little kids can see God more clearly to agree. It's kind of what he was saying. And I've kind of seen that a little bit just in ministry and such. And how I've seen little kids like almost like begging their parents to go to church and stuff like that. And it's really profound just to see like the purity of heart. And how they can almost kind of, in a way, they can almost like see God a little bit more clearly. And they have that, that just that child, like, oh, that's what Jesus is teaching us. As, even as adults, we need to have. I'm going to, probably shouldn't admit this out loud, but, because um, it doesn't happen often, but I was actually, I don't know why, I was just, you know, sometimes you go to bed, maybe you're looking at your phone or something. I was looking at my phone, I came across one of those videos of where, have you ever seen those videos where a trooper, or not a trooper, a soldier overseas comes home and they like surprise their family. It was one of those and it showed like a series. It wasn't just like one incident. It was like several of them coming and surprising their children or just showing up at school. And I mean, it was like a five minute long video and it probably showed, I don't know, 10 different scenarios where the, you know, one, I remember one particular instance was when the dad showed up and the family was taking like a group picture and the dad like showed up behind them. And then one of the, the, like the maybe six or seven year old daughter heard his voice and I jumped and screamed like for dad and they all just jumped on him and hugged. I'll be honest, about a couple minutes into this, I mean, I had, I, I wouldn't call it tears. It's just more like a watery, salty discharge started kind of, I don't know where it came from. I don't know what was going on. This is not you know, normal for me. And so I just had to, you know, kind of wipe that off a little bit. It's like streams coming down. Um, anyway. I was just so moved at seeing these children and just their response to their dad or their mom coming home and they hadn't seen them in a while. And it just really was impactful. And I think it's really helpful to kind of go through these things a little bit, just as you kind of get in the, your mindset into what a childlike heart is like. I know um, two Saturdays ago was Hope's second birthday. And, you know, they kind of don't know what's going on, but she's kind of old enough. We had family. It's kind of like a little family gathering. And so family, my in-laws came from out of town and stuff like that. And my family was there as well. And so it was just really cute. She knows, she doesn't know like it's her birthday and not, she just knew that she was kind of the center of attention. You know what I'm talking about? She knew like everybody's like watching me. I'm getting all these presents. She has fun like ripping the paper open. She knows like something good's happening in her life. And sure enough, uh, my mom got her this one little gift. It's like a, it's, it's, it's got a little platform on the ground. It's like this little dog that she can grab on and bounce up and down on kind of thing. And it was funny. It was like the last gift she got. Other stuff was clothes. Everything was great. She got a lot of awesome gifts and clothes. And she was excited about some shoes she got. 
but what happened is, like, I was sitting on the floor. I was kind of the one kind of supervising her opening up the gifts and stuff. And sure enough, she gets this dog. She's the center of attention, too, right? So every, I mean, got like 12 people sitting around, kind of having a circle in her living room, looking. I mean, she was literally on this thing for like, an, I don't even know, it might have been an hour. I mean, we had had like some donuts and stuff, and so my little sugar crash is happening, and I'm sitting like, good grief, she wouldn't stop <laughs> for an hour, just seeing that, but it's so much, you know, as a dad, it brings so much joy, like seeing your child enjoy just having the time of her life, and, but the truth of the matter is, you know, you see stuff like that, it's so pure and innocent, and the same is true in our own lives. Y'all remember, like C.S. Lewis talks about it, like, he calls it a childlike wonder. You remember how when you were younger, just everything's like so exciting. Maybe it was a trip to Disney World or an amusement park. Just everything is so exciting and new. But what happens just as we become adults is things change, right? Because, you know, when you're child, you have that childlike wonder. It's like it's because everything is a new experience. And then when you get a little bit older, you've kind of been there, done that a little bit. And then sometimes some really hard things happen in life, right? And then what happens And as we get a little bit older? Sometimes we can lose a little bit of that childlike wonder. And it kind of ties into one of the, the kind of the heart of the message that I want to dive into a little bit and get into some uh, teaching here. Is and the point number two is that God doesn't owe us anything. And so what happens is a lot of people, when they get a little bit older, if you've been around people, maybe you've done it yourself, you start kind of questioning things a little bit, questioning God a little bit. If, you know, if, if God is so good, why did this happen in my life? Or why did this happen to these people? And we start getting more questioning and we kind of lose that childlike heart toward God a little bit. I know uh, this past week I ended up taking both my kids to get vaccines, okay? So, you know, went to the doctor. Vaccine's not pleasant, right? For, you know, they get a shot, they feel it. And so I'm in there, I'm watching both of my children. And so what I'm doing as a father, as we're doing as parents, right, is we're trying to look out for the health of our child. That's why you go to a doctor. You want to make sure they're healthy. And I know there's all people with different views on these types of things. That's fine. But what were our intentions to take care of our child? We have good intentions, right, in doing these things. So sure enough, what happens is getting a little bit of a shot, you get pain. There's some pain. And Hope actually had to get her little toe pricked to get some blood drawn and that kind of stuff. And sure enough, what happens when these, she gets pricked, right? We all know what happens. She feels the pain, and guess what? She starts crying, and so I'm holding her and consoling her and all these things. But what she doesn't fully understand at this age is that her dad is taking her there for a good reason. Her dad has a good reason for what's going on in her life. And the same is true with God in our lives. We don't always understand it. You know, I know a couple months ago we talked about like the discipline of God, and sometimes we make poor decisions and we end up in consequences, and God wants to use those consequences to correct us. Sometimes it's in the moment. Maybe you're in a point right now in your life where you're making a decision about something. Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe it's a life-changing type of thing, and you're not quite sure if God is speaking to you. One of the key scriptures I point to in these types of situations is the passage that says let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. One of the things I want to encourage you with if you're trying to hear the voice of God, if you're not at peace about it when you're praying about things, that might be God's way of saying, hey, wait, maybe not now, or maybe not at all. Maybe you need to head in a different direction. That might not be. But if you have, you've been praying about something, and you have that peace. You just, you know, you know what it is. You know it when you know it. When you have a peace about something, you have that peace. And there's no kind of, because there's been points in my life where I was making a decision that I just, 
the more I, the closer I got to making the decision, I knew like something's off. You just know it, and then that feeling gets more and more rattled. You know, you're kind of more and more rattled the closer you get to going through with something. That's where I would encourage you to say that might be very well, maybe God's voice saying to hold off a little bit. But God, one of the things I wanted to talk about in this whole God does doesn't owe us anything is I had a couple of things I wanted to touch on. There's some there are things. Have you ever been around people that maybe kind of are always attacking Scripture? You've probably seen it either like in the news or you maybe know somebody who's always like hard charging the Bible and always basically questioning it, just always like wanting to fight about it. And I kind of said, well, sure enough. Uh, we have, you know, we have a church Facebook page, you know, and so was, I think it was earlier this year. So I get this, we get this email. I think Mark, Mark might know what I'm talking about here. So I get this email, like on the church Facebook message, just like kind of a general inquiry about the church, right? You know, just some general information, whatever. And I think I responded with some general information or something like that. And then another response came. And I knew as soon as I got the response, it's like, this person's here for a fight. They're wanting to pick a fight with a church on a random Facebook page with with people they've never met. I don't even know this person. I don't think anybody in here knows this person. You can ask me later. We can try to figure out if you know them, but it's not even worth any of our times. But I knew immediately, like, this person wants to fight. This person wants to pick a fight about the Bible. And so I had two res- possible responses. Number one, I could just be kind of nice and just kind of, okay, well, hope you, hopefully you'll come sometime, you know, and just leave it at that. But this person was asking some kind of some serious, uh, biblically related questions. And I'll be honest, like, I don't mind that kind of stuff. Like, I'll be honest, if it's like a political thing, I'm like, well, what about this? I'll be like, oh, I don't care that much. I don't want to talk about it. You know, you got your thing. I got mine. We'll just, we'll, you know. Move on from that. But when it comes to the Bible, when someone's literally attacking Scripture, I kind of like, you know, I think I'd like to answer a few of these questions. And so sure enough, I want to share with you a couple things. And I think it's good for you to hear these things because they may, maybe you've heard these types of things come up. So don't ask me how this thing, it was one of those things like I would respond to something and it was like within five minutes, like another angry, you know, it's like I wasn't even being mean. I was like, I was probably praying, like, God, help me be gentle with my, you know, the Bible tells us to be gentle in our answers and stuff like that. So I was trying to be very respectful toward knowing that this person probably wasn't going to agree with me no matter what I said. And so it was one of those types of things. But I wanted to share with you one of the things, or I want to share a couple things she brought up because they're really good teaching points for Christians. One of the things she brought up is there's a passage in Leviticus that talks about how when a woman, I don't ask why she brought this up, I, I promise you I didn't bring this up, but she was basically hard-charging scripture because there's a passage in Leviticus which says that when a woman's in her monthly, you know, that they need to go outside of the camp, okay? What, do you, what angle do you think she was coming at me with that? She had this... And I'll be honest, I don't care what political persuasion you're a part of. I'm sick and tired of this PC culture. It's just the dumbest thing going on. Everybody's outraged over everything. You can't say anything. You can't believe any religious beliefs anymore without offending somebody and somebody's going to tweet about, you know, it's just, I think it's so dumb. It's ridiculous. And so, sure enough, basically what she was insinuating is that the Bible was just undercutting women for doing that. You, you, you ever been around that type of thinking before? Something like that. This, this is exactly 
where she was coming from. She was attacking Scripture because she saw this as God. Oh, there it goes again in the Bible, just undercutting women and suppressing women. That's basically what she was believing about the Scripture. Well, one of the things I knew very early on, and I'm not saying this arrogantly, but I was just like, this woman, she was a young woman, she's, she's never read the Bible from cover to cover. The fact that she's even going there means she doesn't even know. She's, she's picking a couple little pieces of Scripture and then trying to use it as a weapon against Christians. But basically what she's doing, and the, the thing about this is this woman's actually a Christian from what she was sharing. But what she was having issues with some certain Scriptures that didn't fit some of her what I would call a PC worldview. So I'm going to share with you how I respond to that. I'm, I'm not going to read word for word, but I should. I'm going to give you the gist of how I responded because I believe it's true. Um, there's a scripture that says there is a way that seems right to a man until another comes and questions him. So this person thought they were right in their own eyes. So I was like, I'm going to offer some counterpoints to this because I, I have a better idea, I think, what was going on. So here's the situation that's going on with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, when they left Egypt, okay, this wasn't like four or five hundred people. This was over a million people going out in a desert, okay, traveling in a desert for 40 years. Can you imagine? They're setting up tents. Imagine their sandals, how worn off they are. Here's the proper response to something like this. Is it possible, that number one, that God had a good reason for this when he's saying, hey, remove yourself from the camp? Is it possible that due to the fact that this culture didn't have the hygienic products we have available, they didn't have all the, you know, the sterile stuff and all these things that we have take for granted today, is it possible that God said you need to remove yourself from the camp to protect yourself from infection and to protect others from potential infection? Is it possible that God had hygiene, proper human hygiene in mind when he said, hey, when this is going on, you know, move yourself from camp. Hey, you got leprosy. You need to get outside the camp. Because these things could potentially cause hygiene issues with a million plus people and a bunch of tents all piled in the desert. Is it possible? So I actually responded. I didn't quite say it with that tone I just shared with you. I was very nice, respectful. And I was amazed. She actually responded, well, that's actually a pretty well thought out response. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course it is, you know. <laughs> so, um, and so sure enough, that was enough. She brought something else out. And what was kind of interesting about this conversation did you know how on like Facebook you, you can leave like reviews on certain business pages? Well, we actually, after this, we ended up prohibiting that on our Facebook page so no one can review the church anymore. Because <laughs> there's people out there with nothing better to do than slam churches that they don't plan on attending anyway. So this person proceeds to write a review that basically this church endorses slavery and that I don't recommend anybody going there and all this stuff. I'm like... Are you kidding me? I mean, really? Here's where I want to go. There's another, I think, valuable teaching point in this. And sure enough, I mean, I, <laughs> I think I had to get, like, Brian at work. He's like, Brian, you know, she's in the middle of, like, teaching kids. I'm like, hey, I don't know how to, I'm not very tech savvy. He's like, can you get this post off of here? <laughs> we endorse slavery. Okay. Here's where she's coming from. And this isn't the first time I've heard this before. You ever heard that? Oh, Christians endorse slavery. All this. Here's where it's coming from. In Ephesians 6, verse 5, and Colossians 3, 22, it actually says the exact same thing. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Okay? That's what it says. That's what the Bible says in the New Testament. Slaves, obey 
your earthly master. Number one, the number one mistake people make with this is they automatically equate slavery in the Bible with what they know to be the African American slave trade in the United States. They immediately perceived that it was just like that, and they can't possibly fathom that maybe it wasn't quite nearly that brutal, and maybe it was more like an employee-employee-employee-employer type of relationship in certain situations. That being said, number one, this, this passage, Slaves Obey Your Earthly Masters, is applicable in the sense that I think an employee does need to obey their employer. All right? we, have a, we have a chain of command at work. You need to follow it. And I think Paul would say that today. Here's where I want to go uh, with, a, with this particular passage. You know, she, she's accusing, basically what she's saying is that because he wrote about, the Apostle Paul wrote about, it, he's endorsing slavery. And nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, the entire book of Philemon in the New Testament was actually a book of the Bible in the New Testament in which Paul wrote to a slave owner about his runaway slave and he's basically telling him, hey, you know, he came to me, he found faith in Christ. And he's basically telling the slave owner, I want you to receive him as a brother. This is what it says in Philemon, um, verses 15 through 16. Listen, to this. this is Apostle Paul writing to a slave owner about a runaway slave. He says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than as a slave. As a dear brother. He's telling this slave owner, I want you to receive him back as a dear brother, which would have been totally counter-cultural at the time. But here's where the, where the key point I want to make is about this. So Paul's writing these things. Here's what Paul was focused on. He says in the scriptures, he says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. His focus of his life, because he knew his time was short, was to preach the gospel. And guess what happened? He got thrown in prison. He got beaten. He got scourged. He got stoned. He had all these horrible things that happened to him because he preached the gospel. And the Apostle Paul knew the last thing I need to be doing right now is going against the Roman Empire on the issue of slavery. And here I want to get, I want to, get to where I'm going with this. Not that he thinks it's okay. But he's already got the government coming after him as it is for preaching the gospel. The last thing he wants to do is start focusing on the social justice issue of slavery because that's going to bring even more heat. It's also going to detract from his message. It's going to be a side uh, distraction from his focus of preaching the gospel because at the end of the end of the day, the apostle Paul knew if I preach the gospel, it will change human hearts. Not only on an individual level, it will start to change societies. And these social justice issues will start to fade away. That's where he knew. He knew, I'm not going to get caught up in this. Because if I preach the gospel and they're transformed by Christ, these other things are going to start going by the wayside. And that's what he knew. I've got to focus on this. And so people are like, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's endorsing slavery. And sadly enough... The truth is, in the 1800s, there were certain Christians in the South who used Scripture to try to keep slavery alive. And that's awful. It's wrong. We all, I, mean, I don't think anybody would argue that in this room for sure. We all know it was evil. It was not right. It was not treating other human beings with the respect they deserve. And it's sad that, you know, human beings do misuse Scripture for their own selfish reasons and even for evil at times. But the Apostle Paul wasn't about that. And that's not why he's writing these things. Because he knows 
that his goal is to preach the gospel, not to tear down slavery. And the fact that he's even writing an entire book telling a slave owner his slave is just as valuable as him is revolutionary for his time. And that's why so I try to respond to this particular person with these types of things. And uh, it was kind of falling on deaf ears. But here's what I know. So I look at a situation like that. And I'm like, did I waste my time? Should I just kind of said, well, just come whenever, you know. Uh, we accept people from all walks of life. Or, you know, so maybe I could have played that card. But here's what I also know. Look in your notes in Isaiah 55, verse 11. Let's listen to this. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I know that when it, you, you share the word of God, and you're trying, you, especially when you're respectful with it, which I think I was, I tried to be, it's not going to return void. You might know the, the word of God, when it is preached, it has power to change life. I know it's changed my life. You know, a couple weeks ago we were here, and Mike Cook shared and uh, about just his shooting. I mean, it's just a powerful message for those of you who are here. I mean, it's just some of them you could just hear a pin drop in the room just listening to him share about when he was shot. He couldn't even talk because he was, his blood coming up out of his mouth and just crazy. And he just, he was talking about how he heard the voice of God telling him to go call 911 and just unbelievable. And you all remember the part where he talked about how he was angry for a while. I mean, I think every one of us would be. It's no fault in the man for experiencing what we would all experience. And he talked about that one morning, how he woke up. He just noticed the anger was gone. And he's just like, all right, God, what, what now? What do you have for me now? It was just amazing to see. Like he, you know, he was angry, but he, he that childlike heart kicked in. That childlike just said, you know what? This happened, Lord. But you're still good. I don't get it. Why couldn't this have been prevented? I'm sure he's still working through it. He's talked about how he and his wife are actually still undergoing PTSD counseling for just all this, losing their son, and not only that, but him getting shot. It's just amazing to hear him share. Like, wow. You know, the best part for me about that is sometimes in life, you just hear the message like that. Sometimes in life we take... You ever taken a molehill and turned it into a mountain? Like you think your life's just so, this is so terrible. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. And he's going through something that's way worse than anything I've ever been through in my entire life. Times a hundred. And he's saying, wow, uh, 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 the grace of God is sufficient. Um, your power is made perfect in my weakness. And he's talking about how, you know, there's God, you know, that saying where God's not going to give you more than you can handle. And he was basically saying that's not true because we can't handle this and God's grace is sufficient. So I want you to be thinking, in what area of your life, and I'm not talking about you can't ask any more hard questions. God's not afraid of your question. I think he's, I think as long as you come with a humble attitude, you can ask whatever question you want. But this, when you come with an attitude of defiance, you know, that fist, the fist clenched toward the heavens type of attitude, which some people have, when you come to God and say, all right, you know, kind of open-handed. Say, all right, God, I don't get this. What are you doing in my life? What do I need to change? What do I need to do differently? God will intervene, and He will make all things right. There's a scripture that I want to close with. It says in Romans that God works together all things for the good of those who love Him. All things. God works together for your good. If you just rest, 
trust in the process and listen to what God's doing in your life. He'll see you through to where it is He wants to take you and He'll see you through whatever um, difficult decisions you're walking through right now in your life. Let's pray as we go into a time of worship and response. Heavenly Father, thank You for uh, Your truth and how it doesn't return void. Whether that's reading Scripture, hearing it, it produces fruit in our lives. Lord, right now there's maybe somebody here who's going through tough decisions, trying to navigate, trying to hear your voice, trying to know, to understand. They don't understand why things are going the way they are. I pray that just you would take those questions, just give them a peace right now over that situation. Give them clarity of thought. Give them that childlike trust. Let them know that you're going you're gonna to walk with them through this time. This time of questioning. This time of even anger towards you. The, those thoughts that many have that say, well, how could this happen to me? Lord, I just pray that your love would manifest itself in each person's heart and minds. That they would know you're good even when those questions do remain, even when they don't understand. You know, the Scriptures tell us that your thoughts are higher than ours, and I pray that we would trust in you because your thoughts, you see things that we don't. You understand things we don't. And I pray that we would rely and trust on you. Lord, your Word tells us to seek your will and all we do and that you will show us which path to take. I pray that you would show each of us which path we need to take in our present lives. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.